Okay, I'm just a little bit curious uh, this morning, so uh, I'm not uh, I'm not asking this question as like a test so that I can you know see how bad you are or how good you are, but I'm just curious. I'm just curious to know. So if I was to ask you, um, if you know the significance of this gospel passage, how many of you think you'd have an idea of the significance of this particular gospel passage that we just heard? Maybe maybe a couple. A little shaky for some of you. Okay, so that's that's okay. That and that's that's the, the whole thing. Because if, if everyone's aware of it, then I don't need to preach about it. But it just it's it's a sign that it's worth talking about. Okay, so this is going to be helpful. I'm going to ask you. I, this is turning into a regular thing. I know maybe some of you don't like looking at the Bible so closely, um, which is unfortunate if that's the case. Uh, but but I invite you to to open up your missalette if it's helpful for you to follow along. We're going to be on page 26. Before we get to, to this, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to set this down, but I, I ask you to sort of keep that as a placeholder. Before we get to this, we've got to set the stage. And, and I know that, again, this is something that I, I sort of talk about on a pretty regular basis, but, but I think repetition is really helpful to just get this down, right? So we know that God leads his people out of Egypt by Moses, eventually through the desert into the promised land, into Israel. And in, once they're in Israel, they break up the territory according to their tribes. You know, there's the tribe of Naphtali and Zebulun. There's the tribe of, of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. There's the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Benjamin. You know, like, so they break up the land according to that. And, and they're living there with their tribes. And then eventually what happens? They establish a kingdom. They ask God, they demand that God give them a king. And so God gives them a king, Saul who starts out very, or who ultimately is a very poor king. He, God replaces Saul with the great king, David. So David, God comes to him and he gives him this covenant where he promises David that he's gonna have a succession of kings that will be on the throne. In other words, that David will always have an heir on the throne of the kingdom of David. We call it the Davidic dynasty. So it's the dynasty that is named after David. So it's the Davidic dynasty or the Davidic kingdom. Um, so we know that with any form of government, there are certain roles that need to be filled. For example, in a kingdom, the role of the king needs to be filled. In, in our government that we have in America, in the United States, we know that we have a president and that president is a role that needs to be filled. And we know that even if the king or the president were to die suddenly, we know that the role or the office of the presidency of the king would not die with him, right? So we know this, that, that if President Biden for some reason was supposed to, was, was gonna like suddenly die tonight, overnight, we know that we would still have a presidency in our country. It's just that we would have to replace President Biden with a new president, right? The office doesn't die if the person holding the office does die or if the person holding the office completes his term in that office. We, we know this is the case. In the kingdom of David, in the kingdom of, of Israel, there are certain offices that are present. So within the office, we hear about one of them today. So now you open up to page 26 and notice what it says. Okay, thus says the Lord to Shebna. And then it says, master of the palace. That's an office in the kingdom of Israel. It's an office. So Shebna, so by this point, I've said this before too, by this point, the kingdom of Israel had split in two. So now there's the northern tribes, which they still call themselves the kingdom of Israel. And then there's the two southern tribes, which call themselves the kingdom of Judah. So Shebna 
is the master of the palace in the kingdom of Judah. So he holds this office that the Hebrew term, which it's not super important that you know it, but just to know that this is like an official thing. It's called the all bayit, the all bayit. It's, it's a, a Hebrew phrase that means over the house. So it's someone who is the master of the palace or, or we could say like the steward of the house, the steward of the kingdom, the, the chief person. Uh, and, it, and it goes on, right? So the Lord says, I will thrust you from your office and pull you down from your station. So the Lord is telling Shebna that whoever this guy is, as the master of the palace, as the all bayit of the kingdom, he's doing a poor job because the Lord is saying, I'm going to thrust you from your office. But we know, again, because it's an office, we know that even though Shebna is going to be removed from his office as the master of the palace, we know that that's still an office that will carry on for the next guy. And in fact, the Lord continues to say this. He says, okay, on that day, the day that I pull you from your office, I will summon my servant Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. I will clothe him with your robe and gird him with your sash. Right. So in this particular office, the master of the palace, the person holding the office apparently wears certain clothing, which again is something that, that we know. Think of, think of a police officer, right? There's, there's like an office of being a police officer. What do they wear? They wear particular clothing so that when you see them in their uniform, you know that they hold a particular office, the office of police officer. Now we know that sometimes police officers retire and so then they stop wearing that particular clothing. We know that sometimes police officers die and so they, they, they might be buried in their clothing as a sign that they held that office. But no matter what, when a person retires, when a person dies in, in their office, they, the office continues. We need more police officers to replace the ones who are retiring, that kind of thing. So that's what the Lord is saying. Okay, so Shebna, as the master of the palace, is occupying an office. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to remove you from the office, but the office will continue. And in fact, it's going to continue by the next guy, Eliakim, who's going to take your place. There's going to be another guy who succeeds you as the master of the palace. And he will have the same role. He will wear the same clothing. And what's more, the very next line, it says, and I will give over to him your authority. This, this, is, this is a really important point here. The master of the palace had the, the second most authority in the kingdom. So, the master of the palace, his role was to handle all of the day-to-day -day affairs in the kingdom because the king, of course, was, was busy being the king. And so he had like his right-hand man to handle all of the day-to-day -day affairs. In fact, what, is it, what does it say here? It says, okay, he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And then it says what? I will place the key of the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. When he opens, no one shall shut. And when he shuts no one shall open. So the key of the house, what, is, what does that mean? Well, think about it this way. If you were going to go on vacation for an extended period of time, you, what are you going to do before you leave? Well, you're going to lock your house, but then you're going to find a friend or a family member and ask them, you know what, I've, my plants need to be watered while I'm away. Let me give you my house keys so that you can get into my house and unlock the door and, and water the things or take care of my pets or whatever it is. Right, so that to give the key of the house of David, this is a sign that I'm handing over to you the authority over my house. While I'm away, I give you permission to make decisions about my house. So the, the master of the palace, we're talking about someone who has authority, a great amount of authority, of authority over the kingdom of Israel, or over the kingdom of Judah in this case. 
He didn't have the same amount of authority as the king, of course. Just like your friend or your family member wouldn't have the same amount of authority over your house as you do. But nonetheless, you're, you're giving permission, you're handing over the authority so that your, your, your master of your house, as, as you're away, or the master of the palace can handle this, right? Like that's, that's the role of the office. So then when it says, when he opens, no one shall shut, right? That's the kind of authority that he has. When he decides that the gate of the kingdom is, is gonna be open, no one else has authority to tell him to close it except the king. And so when he shuts, no one shall open. The same thing, when the, when the master of the palace decides, okay, we're shutting things down for the night. No one has authority to unlock that gate except the king. So this person who has this role is, is a pretty powerful person actually in the kingdom of Judah. Okay, so that's, that's the role of the master of the palace. And this is an office that does what? It's gonna continue on regardless of who holds the office. The only time the office will, will cease, will no longer exist, is if the king decides to remove the office or if the kingdom stops existing altogether. Because if there's no kingdom, right? If, if our country was to fall apart, our form of government that we use would, would no longer need a president because we don't have the same kind of a thing. We would have to establish something new. If, if, we, if we fell apart as a country or if we fell apart as a kingdom, well, there's no more king. And if there's no more king, then the king can't appoint a master of the palace. It's, it's not possible. So this, this role as the, office, as the master of the palace, as the, the chief steward, it's going to continue on as long as either the king wants it to or as long as the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, exists. Okay. Now what happens? We actually know that shortly after this in the book of Isaiah, or shortly after the time of Isaiah, we know that the kingdom of Judah is invaded by the Babylonians. We know that the kingdom is invaded and conquered. The temple is destroyed. The people are led off into exile. So that there's actually, there's no more kingdom of Judah. So it seems like, it seems like the, the role of the king in Judah is, is no longer necessary. It seems like the role of the master of the palace is no longer necessary. But, but the thing is this, for those who know the gospels, when, when you open up the Gospel of Matthew, you know that he begins with this thing called the genealogy of Jesus Christ, where he goes through and he lists all the, the people that came before David. He starts with Abraham, who was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, etc. But then it gets to David and it starts listing off all of the succession of kings. David was the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. These are all the kings that succeed each other, that, that hold the office of king after the Davidic kingdom or the Davidic dynasty was established. And then it finishes, or it, it, it sort of, that paragraph finishes by saying, um, and Josiah was the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. So the deportation to Babylon, this is the Babylonian exile. This is seemingly the end of the line as far as the kingdom goes. So it's the end of the line as far as the role of the king goes. It's the end of the line as far as the role of the master of the palace goes and all other roles in the kingdom. But Matthew tells us that they kept track because it goes on after the Babylonian exile. It says, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, all the way down to what? Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. In other words, what Matthew is telling us by beginning his gospel in this way 
is he's telling us that even though it seems like the kingdom of Judah was destroyed, God has plans to reestablish this kingdom in a new way. And not just to reestablish it, but to reestablish it through Jesus Christ, who is the king. So Jesus as king is coming to establish a new kingdom that is still consistent with the kingdom of David. So within the kingdom of Jesus, there are certain roles that need to be fulfilled. Beginning with the king, of course, who is Jesus. And Jesus is the king forever. He will, he, even though he dies, he lives again and he will never die again. And so he will reign as the king in his kingdom forever. But then turn to page, turn to page 28 in your missalette. So Jesus here is having this conversation with the apostles. He asks them, uh, so this, is, this will be on page 27. He's like, who, who, who am I to you? Who am I? Peter gets up, or Simon gets up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus goes on and says, okay, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. But then notice what it says here. So this is the fourth line from the bottom of the passage, where he says what? I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Do you, do you see the connection, the very clear connection with the reading from Isaiah to this reading? The Lord is saying, I'm going to give the key of the house of David to Eliakim after Shebna is done with his role. So that Eliakim is going to fill the office of the chief steward, the master of the palace. So now Jesus, who is the new king, who has come to reestablish the kingdom of God, he is handing to Peter what? The keys to the kingdom. He is making Peter the master of the palace, which means what? Peter is in charge of the day-to-day -day affairs of the Lord's kingdom. And what's more, Peter has the most authority of anybody in the kingdom except for Jesus the king. This is so important so that even Peter has, he has authority to make what? To make binding decisions. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Peter, if you decide that something is bound on earth, no one has authority to change that except for the king. And I'm telling you that when you bind something in heaven, it will be bound. Whatever you loose on earth, if you, Peter, as the, the master of the palace, if you make this decision to loose something in heaven, I'm telling you, no one has authority to change that except the king. And I'm telling you that whatever you decide, this is what's decided in heaven. So Peter has this incredibly important role as the master of the palace of what? Of the Lord's church. So the significance of this passage is, is that Jesus is giving Peter specifically an office in his kingdom. Now we know about offices because we've been talking about it. That even when Peter dies, the office will continue. And so we actually know this from history. We know that when Peter dies, as the leader, the clear leader of the early church, he's replaced by another man who takes up the office. That other man, his name is Linus. And when Linus dies, the office continues through another person whose name is Anacletus or Cletus. And when Cletus dies, his office is replaced, or the office continues, and he's replaced by a guy named Clement, who you might know as the, the, the patron saint of the, the church in, in Grigla, St. Clement of Rome. In other words, what's going on? We're talking about here, Jesus is establishing his Catholic church with Peter as the first pope. And then from there, 
further popes take up the office because the office continues even when the one who currently holds the office dies, or as we've seen with, with Pope Benedict, when he retires. The office continues because this is the way the Lord has consistently established his kingdom throughout history. So what we're getting at here is, is this incredible thing that, you know, like we, we live in a world where, where there are so many different Christian denominations. And, and I'm not necessarily here to pick on the other ones, but what I am here to say is that we know historically that the early church was the Catholic church. That the Catholic church is the church that Jesus himself established on the rock of Peter. Peter, by the way, whose name Jesus changes from Simon to Peter, and Peter's name means rock. So it's like Jesus is saying, you are rock, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against us. So like this, this is such an incredible thing that, that, that we, we can actually, we can understand this, and we can track it, and we can say, gosh, you know what, sometimes, maybe it seems like to some of you, sometimes maybe it seems like as Catholic Christians, we do some really strange things. Or sometimes as Catholic Christians, it can seem like, gosh, maybe we're, we're a little bit too um, exclusive to the other, denom other Christian denominations. Maybe, maybe I don't always understand why we do things, or I don't even always agree with why we do things as Catholics. And, and if, you're, if you're in that place, okay. But what we can be confident of is that this is the church that Jesus established. And so you don't have to understand everything. You don't, maybe, maybe you don't have to agree with everything, although I think the Lord would invite you to. But what you, do know, what you do need to know is like, this is the church that Jesus established, giving his authority to Peter and to Peter's successors all the way up to today, Pope Francis. This is, it's so important for us. And something I was thinking about was this, and this might be, just be the last thing. Something I was thinking about was this. You know, a person could hear this and just be like, okay, Father, that, that sounds great. Like, why is this such a big deal? You know, I've, I've heard people say this, like, okay, well, the other denominations, sure, they're not Catholic, but they're still Christian, and, and we all worship the same God. And there may be some truth to that. But one thing is certain, that from the Gospels, Jesus wants his church to be united. In fact, we, we prayed for this uh, at the very beginning of Mass, when we said, oh God, who caused the, mind, the minds of the faithful to unite in a single purpose. The Lord wants his people to be one. He's not satisfied that there are so many different divisions among the Christian community. He's not satisfied that, that people think, you know, sometimes Catholics think they can go and worship in other denominations. He's, he's not satisfied about that. And, and if he's not satisfied about that, then neither should we. There's something that, that, that as we experience our life as, as Catholic Christians living amidst other Christian denominations, like, okay, yeah, we can, we can try to get along with them and, and we can try to find common points of agreement, but there's something about it that should just be like a lingering, dissatisfaction just knowing like this isn't how it's supposed to be and, and maybe there's a way for us to pray for more people to come back to the lord's church maybe there's a way for us to pray for for greater unity among the christian people which ultimately would mean more people coming to see that rome is home and and i don't know how that can work itself out because so many people have you know that they have their heels dug in but maybe we can pray for it and maybe we can ask the Lord to do something miraculous. Beginning with here in Oakley, beginning with Grigla and Goodrich, that, that maybe the Lord can do something over at Zion or up in Salem and maybe do something in their minds to bring them back, whether through conversations with us, trying to tell them that, that this is the church that Jesus established and so why don't you come and check it out? Or maybe the Lord can do something in their own study of scripture, who knows? But what if we prayed for it? And what if we asked the Lord for a miracle? He who wants his people to be united 
We can ask the Lord to unite his people once again as, as we live in his kingdom, his kingdom, which is an eternal kingdom.